Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome. Glad to have you back with us today. Don't forget to tell your family and friends to listen to Loving the Christ Life and these great teachings from Warren Litzman each week. They are there and available wherever you download your podcast. Today, we're going back to South Africa and a wonderful conference that Warren had there many years ago. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week. Here's Warren. What I want to do today is talk to you explicitly about what the birthing is. But first you have to see that it's got to be separated from your soulish part. But one more thing about this crude drawing. Where is our love affair? Where is our love affair with the Lord? Is it in spirit? Nope. Our love affair with the Lord is in our soulish part. Jesus said to the disciples one day, Lovest thou me? How? More than these things? Why didn't God save our souls in grace? Because the one thing God wants out of humanity is love. Why? God is not things. God is not health. God is not prosperity. God is is love. You get it? That's what He is. He's personified love. That's what God is. If you don't come to that, you'll never know God. He's love. All He ever wanted was a creature to love Him. He didn't get it out of Lucifer and a third of the angels that lived in His house. He didn't get it out of Adam and Eve. He hardly got it out of anybody in the Old Testament. All of them liked to have his power. All of them wanted to do great things for him. But love was hard to find. Even when Jesus came to this earth, humanity didn't love the Son of God. And it's only as Paul opens up this difference between mind and spirit that we begin to understand what God is all about according to us. So let's look into some of the things that have to do with this thing we call the birthing. I'm going to give you seven points on that. Give you a chance to write them down if you want to. Point number one, the birthing is not a human experience. I think this is why certain places in religion, they don't teach being born again anymore. Some never did teach it. But the reason they don't teach it is that they feel like there has to be a human experience. They feel like that If the human doesn't have a rich experience in it, there's no use messing with it. But the simple facts are, when a sinner is rebirthed, there is no feeling. Oh, there may be some tears shed when you get saved. A good feeling may come over you. But that's in the soulish area. 
in your spirit there is no feeling. But let's take it a step further. Before you were born again, saved, or came to the Lord for salvation, you had another spirit in you. You had another nature in you. You had Adam's nature in you, a sin nature, because he was your father. And because of Adam's sin, it had been passed on to you because he's the father of the human race. Always remember that. There are only three fathers of humanity in the scripture. There's Adam, who is the father of the Gentile race. There is Abraham, the father of the Jewish race. And there's our heavenly father, the father of the born again. So get the idea of father separated in your mind. It'll help. We often are accused of, of being racist. You ever, you may not have that. In America, that's a big, uh, big uh, argument there because every time somebody gets mad at somebody, they say, say they're racist. But if you notice something, our racism is not against the races. It's against each other in a race. It's Gentiles fussing at Gentiles. So they're not racist. They're just family members that are upset. <laughs> there can be no racism among the Gentiles. And that takes in the blacks, the yellows, the browns, all colors. There is no racism. There's a misunderstanding of who they are in the family. First, they were in the family of Adam. But they need to be born again. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So in the new birth, when it takes place, there is no certain feeling. Because you had no feeling about the sin nature you had in you. You must understand this if you're going on in the Lord. When the sin nature was in you, it was directing you and giving you thoughts and ideas that helped to form who you were and give you an identity. Since every one of us are different, there's no single stereotyping that can be put to people. They're all different. Everybody's different. Created differently. God saw to that. Everybody is created differently. In that difference comes forth the glory of God. A fellow may run uh, he, he may be a drug uh, provider. He may be mean. He may have killed people to keep his business going. He may have done everything unrighteous and ungodly he could have. But he's no different than anybody else that has a sin nature. All those that are not born again have in them the same nature. It's just that our creation has taken us in different directions as to how we will example that 
nature that's in us. So one man becomes a drug agent destroying uh, many, many people and somebody else is a meek little person that uh, may even go to church regularly. But they both have a sin nature. That's why Jesus used the word must. You must be born again. Or you cannot see or enter the things of God. So when you are born again, when you're rebirthed, when God puts His nature and His seed in you, there's no certain feeling. You don't feel the sin nature going out, but it did. Religion has had a problem at this point because religion likes to still teach because Christians do bad things, they still have the sin nature and will have it till they die. I can't accept that because of the cross. But more so, the problem is that when they had the sin nature, they didn't know that. Didn't know that there was another force within them coming from the nature of their innate father, Adam, that was causing them to do what was evil and bad. They didn't know that. And so when it went out, they didn't know it. And when the God nature came in, they didn't know it. Why didn't they know it? Because their mind had never changed. Christians who do wrong have an unchanged mind. They have an unrighteous mind. They don't know who they are. They don't understand who they are. And so the thing that's really happened to them is that God has done a marvelous thing for them. They have been born again. But they don't know it. They don't understand how simple it was to be saved. So religion come along and said, well, we don't believe they're saved till they, till they straighten out their life. I don't believe they're saved, religion says, until they take our training to be a Christian. God made it so simple that anybody could be saved by simply believing that Jesus Christ was their Savior or that He died for their sins. But you see, we're all confused. We wanted the soul saved so that everything they do and everything they touch would become religious. It doesn't work like that. You can put the law on everybody you want to in a church building. But it isn't going to work unless they are in love with God to that extent. So when you were rebirthed, you, you, had, no, you had no recognition this has taken place. When I was in, in evangelism, uh, we led, without exaggeration, thousands of souls to the Lord. And I always wondered about that because I didn't know what I know now. I knew they had done something and that they were going to claim to be Christians, but they had a lot of learning to do because they didn't understand the birthing. They didn't understand what took place. Well, it's the same thing when a husband puts his seed in a wife. There may be some ecstasy, some feeling, but there's no great feeling that something unbelievable is going to take place like the product of another person. So it's not really a human experience. Then what is the birthing? It's a God experience. Who gets the greatest thrill out of you being saved? 
the Heavenly Father. Who is it that's the key to your salvation? You? What church you go to? What you believe is a doctrine? No. The key to salvation is the Father. He's gotten another offspring. He's birthed another child. Now there will be a definite feeling to this nature thing. If you've got the God nature in you, that is doing things the way the Father would do them, your Father would do them. You may, not have, you may not have much feeling for that as a little baby. But as you grow up and become a, an adult Christian, then it becomes important because you have feeling for your Father. You have feeling for what God has done. I would that all Christians would have that. When you got saved for the first time in your existence, your spirit part, the spirit of man, was joined to the spirit of Christ to become one spirit. That's the first time you ever became a completed human being. You were incomplete to that moment. That means you're not all there. Incomplete. Better still, you were an uncompleted human being. Why? Because God left you that way from the beginning. He didn't complete His creation. There was no completed human being until the day of Pentecost when Christ's church began. There was no completed human being in the Old Testament. But all of the time, God had a secret. A couple of times Paul uses this idea. He says that God had a secret that one day He would complete the human being that He had created. How would he do that? Well, he would subvert, to put a crude word to it, he would subvert the human being by taking the nature that human being had lived by until they accepted Christ as Savior, the old sin nature. He would subvert them by taking that nature out and placing a God nature in them. But he wouldn't change their mind until their love affair became great enough to find out what had happened. You're liable to serve God a long time before you really get a love affair going with Him. I have found that most Christians have to go through a lot of turmoil before they ever form that love affair with the Lord. I've had the privilege of seeing numbers a bona fide Christians die. Be with them before they died. Be with them in their last moments. And you know what? There was one signal thing about a bona fide Christian who knew who they were. I'm ready to go. It's okay. I'd rather be there than here any longer. I'm ready to meet my father. What was it? The love affair had finally blossomed into 
God's intention for the human being. Isn't it strange that we wait so long a period of time to come to that? It is my desire that you leave this conference with that single thought that I'd like a love affair with my Father. He put His nature in me. I'm just learning about that nature. But He put His nature in me and I'm falling more and more in love with Him. An intimacy with the Father through the Son. For the Son knows the Father and your intimacy with Christ takes you into the wonders and glories of the Father nature. That's what makes us have a fellowship with each other. That's what brings us together. That's what brings us together in this room. We sense that there is more to a human being than just being alive naturally. We sense that there is a camaraderie, a kianoa between me and somebody else. That's why I hug your neck when I come around because I sense in you that you've been birthed by the same father I have. But too many of us are just learning about our father now. We're just learning about what Christianity is. I want to strip it down to these bare facts that Paul gives us because he's the only one that knew what a Christian was. He named them in the first place. I want you to form that love affair because of the Christ that's in you. In your most difficult moment of life, when everything else seems to have failed you, I want you to have a mind that says, He that is in me is greater than anything against me. That's the ultimate act of love. That you depend on your love affair with Him to carry you through. That can happen, does happen, and will continue to happen. So we have a fellowship. We could say when you come to a conference like this, you're going to a church meeting. That's all right. Church is the same as the body of Christ. But really, it is more of a fellowship. People who know who they are in Christ form a fellowship. Somebody came to me not long ago and said, well, don't you think this fellowship ought to be organized like religion organizes? I said, no, it's a fellowship. If we haven't come to the point of love, why make it legal to get that? Because that's in our nature. Why legalize things? Like I had a dear brother told me the other day, he said, I like this church over here. I'd like to go to it, but I can't go to it unless I sign a pledge card on giving my money annually. And he said, they want to see my income tax statement first. <laughs> That's no joke. They did. They wanted. 
They wanted to know how much he earned so they could know how much they could get out of him annually. That was for the church budget. That's a, that's a legal thing. Necessary for them because they don't know about this love affair we can have with the Christ that's in us. So as your mind becomes renewed to see who you are in Christ, you form this bond of fellowship. One of the reasons why I stuck with the little song we close every meeting with, I See Jesus in You, was because I realized that husbands and wives could sit in a meeting and be at odds with each other such odds that could lead them to separation and even divorce simply because they didn't see Jesus in each other. They didn't see Jesus. They saw the other person's soulish part. They saw how in their soulish part they could be mean and ugly for they'd always been like that. But that's the part of them that's not saved. That's the part being saved. That's the part we bring to Christ and ask Him to take charge over it. But the part of them that was saved where Jesus lived was ignored. They ignored that. So every time we sing that little song and I ask you to look the other one in the eye, hopefully that's a husband and wife and that you'll get it resolved right there. As mean as this man is, I see Jesus in him. As angry as she gets, I see Jesus in her. And then you break it down a little further. You break it down to your children. Of course, this assumes that they've accepted Jesus as their Savior. Because they all have Jesus in them. How does God know the difference? How does He know the difference whether to bless you or not bless you? How does He know whether to put grace in your life? Because He sees you doing good? No, he never will see you doing real good. You'd be good to yourself once in a while. You'll look in the mirror and say, boy, I'm a pretty good person. (laughs) But you know what he sees when he looks at you? He sees that seed. He sees Christ in you. That's our bond of fellowship. Marriages hold together because of that bond of fellowship. I see Jesus in you. If I spent all my time dealing with your problems, I never would see Jesus. And that's where a lot of people in religion are. They see the devil more than they see Christ. I used to do that. Until I realized one day I was making everything the devil. You stumped your toe, that was the devil. Couldn't find a parking place, that was the devil. Got mad at the person at the grocery store, that was the devil. Everything was the devil. And I got to where I saw the devil more than I did Jesus. Ah, he doesn't have any room in my life anymore. Don't mean he can't do bad things to me. Maybe the Father will allow that. But my Father's always in charge. Remember, the Father doesn't let the devil do anything he doesn't want him to do. But you see, that's hard on us because we say, well, he's a good God. What I have these bad things because He has given you enough strength for any lifestyle you may come to. See? 
That's a different, that's a different uh, understanding, isn't it? That's the gospel that Paul gives us. So, I see I brushed right up against time for tea. And we'll take a break right here for tea and come back and talk of these things more. We're going to stop right there, but we'll be back to more of this live conference that Warren Litzman conducted in South Africa next week. We hope you're enjoying it. It's so powerful to hear these conferences and hear Warren in person, live, in front of so many people giving this great in Christ message. Hey, now don't forget to go to our bookstore. It's on our website, christ-life.org. Look around, find some of these materials that Warren left behind. I was just thinking about one of my favorite books. There's so many, but one of the great books that Warren wrote was called Jesus Lost in the Church. Jesus Lost in the Church. What a powerful book it is. And it's very, very educational about this in Christ message and what's going on in the church today. It's so relevant. Check it out, christ-life.org. Robbie Litzman, thank you for allowing us to go to the archives each week to bring these wonderful, wonderful messages. Also, our thanks to Valerie Hill. She does the Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast notes. And Teresa Ferraro is our producer from the Christ Life Fellowship. She's great. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.